Hey, you're looking for Candyman, bitch. Well, you came to the right place, guys. A welcome to Sheebie-Jeebies, the horror podcast by fans, for fans, and about fans. Brought to you again from the buzzing hive mind of Eternally Bored Productions. I am your host again, Sam Carlson, and today we are going to be talking about 1992's Candyman. And my God, this movie was impossible to find. Uh, you know, quick bit of backstory on this. It's streaming fucking nowhere. And, you know, I, I checked Amazon. I checked all the Hulus, the Netflixes. I even checked fucking Vudu. Like, I actually signed up for Vudu, and I actually downloaded Crackle trying to find it. Couldn't find on anything. I couldn't find on Cody. Couldn't find on Showbox. It's gone. So, like, we're getting the Candyman remake in 2020, apparently, from what I've last heard. Why are you taking it off a year in advance? So... I went down to the local DVD exchange and luckily I had somebody that knew all of the titles in their 60,000 like lists, the 60,000 different DVDs they had in stock. And you know, she found it for me, eight bucks, I'm good to go. I can add it to my library now and it's a fantastic movie of course. Uh, but again, uh, I want to welcome back one of our returning guests, kind of. Uh, Sergio Guetta and he joined us on Halloween which was our third episode but it still isn't on like Stitcher or anything like that like that because we're still like trying to get that back up I don't know what's going on Jay I'm just kidding we have issues um I'm like a poltergeist yeah and it's cause you know disruptions in the mechanics of it I know you're the ghost in the machine <laughs> uh but you were you know in the background for um who did you bring on? Uh, Ortiz. Ortiz. Did, uh, George Ortiz. Ortiz. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, which we we actually do have up. So technically, you are on the podcast. It's just <laughs> as a background voice. Awesome. So, uh, you know, uh, when did you first see Candyman? Um, I think I first saw Candyman probably I was in college. So it definitely wasn't when it first came out, right? A couple of years afterwards. Um, you know, it, it was... It was it had been talked about a lot, you know, I had kind of wanted to see it, but every time I caught snippets of it, it, it actually, you know, seemed a little bit boring to me back then. Okay. Uh, my, my younger mind was all about the gore and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I did like some of the, uh, you know, movies that are a little bit more like psychological, but, you know, even The Shining back then, I, I only appreciated so much. And later I was like, man, you know, this movie's awesome. <laughs> so now I have a whole different like outlook on it. Yeah, and I do agree with that because I kind of didn't watch it at first because I thought it was going to be kind of a little boring. Mm -hmm. And um, I was really, I was completely wrong. Uh, what happened with me was like I started watching, for, I, I went backwards. I watched Candyman 3, please don't do that. And then I watched Candyman <laughs> 2. And then eventually once I finally tracked down the DVD for Candyman, uh, you know, that was not a bad idea, like, as far as progressing that way, because I ended with the best of the series. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, oh, it's an awesome movie. I mean, I would definitely recommend, I'm going to recommend it already. I know we're at the not, we're only at the beginning of the show, but it's, it, it's definitely something that you'd have, you should have in, the, in your library. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, like, I feel like like a fool, right, for not having watched it earlier in my life, because it's really, it's one of the, it's one of the few movies that you can, in the horror genre that are you can really sit down and say, man, that that's like that's like true horror. There's so many 
like levels to it, you know? And mm-hmm. even though, of course, I do like the slashers and I do like like gore and all that kind of stuff, that definitely is one, like, more, multi, like, uh, I mean, one-dimensional as far as, you know, mainly, right, what the stories are like. But this has so much in it. It was so great to see it. It's it's genuinely scary and creepy and horrific in, in what happens to this girl, you know? I haven't seen it in so long. I forgot her name on it, but... Uh, Helen. Helen. Yeah. Duh, duh, right? It's all for you, Helen. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Helen, who is uh, portrayed masterfully by uh, Virginia Madsen. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so one of the things that I was thinking about when watching uh, Candyman was her professor husband, Trevor, is obviously sleeping with this other student. And it's not even subtle. <laughs> and I was thinking, Trevor, you are just like... you. Like, why would you want to sleep with this this student who's, like, super basic instead of your super hot wife? Because, right. like, Virginia Madsen's <laughs> a babe, you know? And, uh, like, uh, there is a little bit of nudity in this, you know? If anybody cares about that that's listening to this uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and I'm not trying to, you know, sound like a misogynist even though I'm a woman. But, like, Virginia Madsen is fucking fine, you guys. <laughs> I, I agree. Huh, she is. Yeah. Like, there's like there's a scene in the bathtub where you just get, you know, you just get a little bit of a topless scene. Just a little bit. But she's got these great sand dollar nipples. And she's got these great natural looking breasts. And I'm like, why are you, why are you passing that up, Trevor? <laughs> yeah. It, I guess it's, it's really lets, or really lets you, like, understand that he's just a douchebag. You know? Oh, he super is. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just like, you know, he just gets off on, you know, having um, having his students sleep with him. It's just for his ego, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, because uh, the, the student that he ends up uh, with at the end of the movie, Stacy, she's the most basic 90s bitch I've ever seen. <laughs> she fucking tears down all of the great decor that Helen works so hard to put up in their apartment and paints it like fucking pink all over the place. And then the bathroom is like baby blue. But what killed me at the end was like watching like her go through the apartment and seeing some of the decor on the walls and there's a giant paper clip. <laughs> I'm like, why? Just fucking why? But yeah, so uh, as far as like the basic plot summary, we've got Helen who is a graduate student at the University of Illinois. And she's uh, actually been working on this thing about uh, urban legends in relation to Candyman. And as far as it relates to uh, more like modern society and, and, and uh, for example, uh, the legend of Candyman in, in the projects of Cabrini Green in Chicago. Uh, and um, sort of uh, Candyman is kind of like a way, you know, in a larger aspect, kind of like blaming urban legends as a way for uh, modern society to blame the fears that they have on some mythical being. Which, you know, I do kind of agree with. Uh, would you say that we have anything like that today that we're doing currently? Where we're having to place our own fears and whatnot on something else that's bigger that doesn't, you know, that's kind of doesn't really make sense or doesn't really exist? You, I, I don't know that I would uh, have like a, a specific example for sure, but I definitely agree that 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 happens I think all the time you know if, if anything and definitely I'm not trying to get very political or anything but I think please go for it <laughs> I'm about to get political too okay I think I think definitely you know the whole thing I mean what's dividing our country right now you know the the MAGA hat thing and you know like what that means and you know 
if you look at both sides of, of that, it, it really comes down to like fear, right? E even if you try and take the best possible outcome from uh, from both sides, and I, I definitely will lean against the, the MAGA hat uh, camp, you know? But some of those people, you know, have very valid, good reasons that they that they believe that, uh, you know, let's say the our president is is doing things for and all that. But it but it's all it all comes down to to basic fear, fear mongering from that side, you know, and sometimes even from the the other side because you you want to fight against injustice, but you don't want to automatically make it make everything a, a monster because then you're going to alienate the people that might be willing to listen and might be able to say, you know what, there is a change that needs to be made. And so then on both sides, you end up kind of having uh, like a, a sort of a candy man, I guess, if that's the monster. So there are good people on both sides then, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I believe in in the larger sense, yes. When you get closer to it, I mean, uh, I wouldn't call like, you know, a, a Nazi a good person. Or Obviously a KKK not. member, unfortunately, a, a, a good person, no matter what, mm, what they Ralph think they're Northam. doing. <laughs> right? No matter what they think they're doing. But there's people that have been led to think that, you know, uh, like the, the MAGA, again, I'm just going to keep calling that as, the its, MAGA, own, as its own The MAGA. The collective. The collective MAGA, that, that it's for their own good or that it's in, in a way that it's, it's something that's going to help their families. And they may not, may not be able to see uh, that it's damaging other people. And in that way, it's really uh, ignorance. And in ignorance, you can work on. Uh, willful ignorance, you can't work on. And those are the yeah. people that I don't, I wouldn't consider those good people in any way. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, uh, for both sides, again, for for the right, it's sort of like uh, the libtards, the snowflakes, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them. But then for the left, it's just as bad because it's like orange man, bad. And everything that, you know, comes out of his mouth, you know, is, if you're, say, on the left and, again, willfully ignorant, then you're automatically going to oppose anything that he says without right. actually taking, you know, without actually thinking of the circumstances involved. Like, uh, you know, for example, Maduro in Venezuela right now, mm -hmm. which... I mean, hey, last I heard, he was a dictator, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'm just saying. Uh, but, I mean, probably Trump is the closest thing we would have to a candy man. We don't really have anything like that on the left side. Like, we can't really do that with Hillary anymore because, <laughs> again, she's not running for president, hopefully. Right. Because uh, I think that would be a mistake. I, I agree on that, too. And, you know, if, if anything, I, th I think, uh, again, because we got the, the politics of... of of things, right? Like of, of I guess our, our country right now and everything. But if we're gonna keep talking, let's say about Candyman, right? So you, what do you do with Candyman? You, you say his name in front of the mirror, right? And then it's essentially the worst embodiment of your fears comes to life, you know? And it comes and gets you. So in in politics, it's kind of the same thing, right? So you, you say, you say Something, um, I guess I'm going around this the wrong way, but uh, you kind of bring to life whatever you're thinking of one way or another. They do the same thing. In it's like man. the secret. It is like <laughs> the secret. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, and there's there's metaphysical explanations for things like the secret. And then there's other scientific explanations. And I think people can get lost in the middle of, of all that stuff sometimes. But it, it, But I do believe that it happens. Right. So if you're constantly you know, like you said on the left, if you're constantly, you know, shouting about all the things that, that are wrong 
with the world, right? And you don't try and find any common ground with the people that you're against, uh, then that's all that's going to continue to appear in your mirror. Just constantly things that validate that that. Uh, uh, belief system and then you're gonna always be fighting and you'll never be able to get somebody on your side if you're fighting them yeah you're stuck in a, a perpetual echo chamber exactly and that's you know that's not really what's gonna further you know any sort of con any sort of uh, constructive political discussion I mean you know I mean I don't want to bring up abortion again but you know we <laughs> had that abortion law that was you know just passed in New York and it's mm -hmm. like I don't really want a physician's assistant being able to perform an abortion because I live in San Antonio and some of these <laughs> physician's assistants are fucking dumb. They went to career point. Y'all don't know how to give a fucking <laughs> thumbs up in a commercial. I sure as fuck don't want you, you know, trying to give me an abortion or anything like mm -hmm. that. Uh, again, that's besides the point. Uh, <laughs> I do have uh, many questions about uh, Candyman's actual supernatural abilities in this movie. Uh, mostly because... You know, and also not just this movie, but the subsequent movies, because, yes, you summon him. But then all of a sudden he seems like just a regular dude that has a hook for a hand. You know, he doesn't really have any supernatural powers except maybe being able to hypnotize you like mm -hmm. kind of like a vampire. But, you know, in in the in the original Candyman, you get to see him taking a nap at one point because he's been taking care of this baby, at, you know, for like a month plus, mm -hmm. you know, uh Anne Marie's baby that uh, she thought Helen Lyle killed, but turns out, you know, it's just the baby's just missing yeah. because Candyman's been waiting for Helen to come to him, you know, in exchange for this baby's life, I guess. I don't know. Seems like he really wanted to roast that baby at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons I like the movie a lot because, like I said, it's got so many levels, right? So if, if you if you think about it, like Candyman had sort of, if, if you, because part one, I haven't seen this, the second or the third, right? So part one, you kind of finish the movie and you, the audience, I guess, is led to believe, okay, this was real because of, can we talk about the ending? There's no spoilers. No, here, right? the, this is all spoilers all the okay. time. So, you know, you have, you have uh, Helen who kind of comes back sort of as her own type of candy man, right? Mm. And, uh, and so if that's the case, if that's real, then everything else must have been real. But partly through the movie as, as the story's building, you really start to wonder, is this really just Helen going crazy, right? Uh, is there really like a Candyman or not? Until there's little little bits of further evidence, further evidence. But even at the very end, you can say like, you can say that a lot of these things maybe were imagined or something. And I think that was the that was the, the point of, of Candyman, right? He, was, he kept talking about his, sort of like his legacy and then making Helen be his victim and mm -hmm. I actually I saw this in a, in a video when I was looking for for stuff and I, this guy had a really good uh, theory on it and I really loved it he said like the reasoning behind his killings right uh, he felt that it was because Candyman was an artist and so you know you have Freddy Krueger is like kind of like a revenge thing but also obviously he, he has fun uh, but you know, Candyman wants to be remembered, and so mm -hmm. if you watch part one, a lot of it is about like how he's you know in the whispers of, of people, and and he kind of revels being not not having to be. I remember that you know he, he tells her something like that, like yeah. the, the the I don't remember the exact the whisper quote. on the wind. Yeah, like yes. the, the, he's telling her like how good it is to exist in this kind of like realm of of not being, but not or or being here, but not having to be. Uh, 
be you know i guess like he, he says it just like not that. having to exist but, yeah yeah and and i thought that was pretty cool and he's he's kind of like coaxing her along uh because and this was this guy's theory that uh it's like like his legacy his artwork like he's making her like the new thing and it's going to live on forever you know like to extend that um and I, I thought that was that was really cool. It's like I said, it's got so many levels, and I'm, I'm getting lost. I forgot why I brought that up originally. Unfortunately, no, that's totally fine. Uh, you're highly caffeinated. I'm highly <laughs> drunk. I'm having vodka brunch. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, but no, I feel like uh, he pretty much made you know she became Bloody Mary almost at the right. end, which is one of my favorite urban legends. But um, I thought what was interesting was uh, one of the things: the sweets to the sweet. Mm-hmm. And there is that part in the movie where Helen like breaks through the wall in uh, when she and Bernadette go into the the building where uh, the the apartment where Ruthie Jean was uh, murdered, and they kind of like uh, she kind of break. Oh, I just knocked the microphone. Just edit that out. Uh, she breaks through the the mirror onto the other side into the apartment, and there's a like this huge like this amazing um, graffiti of of Candyman there. And uh, one of the things that got me was, uh, you know, hold on, Jay, can you? I lost my train of thought. Okay, so one of the things that stuck with me was uh, that part where she's going through, uh, where she's in Ruthie Jean, the, the gal that got murdered by Candyman. She's in the bathroom, and then she goes through, like, the bathroom mirror. She break, you know, she pushes the wall out because it's the projects, and okay. And, you know, kind of steps through this great graffiti of Candyman, like, kind of, like, coming through his mouth. It almost looks like something out of Cool World. It was really crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also, like, this really nice tie-in between the fact that there is a lot of graffiti in Cabrini Green about Candyman and the fact that Candyman was an artist as well. Yeah. I do really like the, that parallel. But when she goes through, she finds uh, these offerings, which are just like random candies on the floor, because we saw her go through the hallways where it said sweets to the sweet. Yeah. And one of those candies, it's like a chocolate with a razor blade in it, which is an urban legend of its own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, never had a, I've never had a chocolate with a, with a razor blade in it. But, you know, we had the, the apples with razor blades in those and them uh, with. God, was that still back in the 80s or was that still in the 90s? It, it had to have been because they, they did a joke on it in Halloween 2, right? They have the kid going into the hospital or whatever, and he's got the razor blade from the apple. Oh, okay. So, definitely. I was about to ask you, was it Halloween, like the original Halloween 2, or was it Rob Zombie's Halloween? I, I don't I don't even talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, previ- you know, anybody who's listening to this, we previously had uh, Sergio on for our Halloween uh, episode, but uh, yeah, we'll get that up eventually. It's fine. Uh, so, um, anyway, back to Candyman, though. Uh you know, Helen uh, decides to basically go and investigate uh, Cabrini Green with uh, her friend slash, I guess, I don't know what you would call this as far as graduate school goes, because they're both graduate students, but like, I have an, a, an associate's in liberal arts, so I will probably never touch this, uh, but they're both working on the whole urban legend of Candyman together. So, you know, colleague, colleague would probably be a good way, a good way to say, good way to put it. But they they go to Cabrini Green in the projects to investigate more about that and ask the the people that live there about it. And, yo, okay. 
Helen is a dumb white bitch, and there are a lot of like fucking white people moments in this movie, and I'm saying that as a fucking white person, you know, because she tells Bernadette, who is a black, who's a black woman, albeit a light-skinned black woman, and I'm sorry if this is getting racist for anybody, but, you know, she's a light-skinned black woman, and she tells her to dress conservatively, and Bernadette's like, we look like the cops, and Helen's like, no, we don't, and I'm like, Helen, maybe listen to the fucking black person in the car that you're going to Cabrini Green with, where you know there are gangs. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, like, I've lived in rougher neighborhoods. You know, <laughs> I've lived in neighborhoods where it's like you have to make friends with the crackheads to make sure your apartment doesn't get broken into. <laughs> maybe listen to her. Right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, naive would be putting it super lightly for, for uh, Helen, you know, on, on some of the things. Uh, I like to think that, you know, the more you see of her, like, it's like a combination of stupidity and... White privilege, white, say it. White privilege, stupidity, and... Uh, but, you know, a little bit of... Uh, well, not a little bit, a lot of courage, too, right? Because she's following, like, all these leads, kind of like an old, old-time, old like, uh, you know, newspaper reporter or something, you know? She, she's, like, all about that case, and she wants to find all the information. And then, you know, again, you, you, you can kind of dissected in different levels and say, well, may, maybe is, is that, is it partly, cause she's never really, she never really goes on about her career or anything like that, but they do show her home life plenty of times. So is it, you know, a way for her to kind of gain control over the fact that she probably knows what her husband does? Because there's that scene where she hangs out with him and, and his other douchebag friends pretty much at this like Heidi oh, tidy, yeah. like restaurant, you know? And man, the douchiest guy on there. Purcell. He's <laughs> the only one that carries over to Candyman too. Oh, does he? Yes, he oh, totally does. Oh my God, that's so sad. I know, right? He like made, he like wrote a book about this shit. Wow. Like, oh, Helen, why didn't you kill that motherfucker? (laughs) But, you know, it's funny because when you see her in that scene, like, I mean, she's standing her ground, right? Like, so that's that's the courageous part of it. Like, okay, she wants to get the story. She wants to, you know, whatever. But is is it more because she's really uh, about the story for her class and for her career? Or is it because it's just her grasping onto something, you know, that she probably already kind of knows is happening? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both because uh, we do see like uh, her talking to her husband who is already a professor anyway and calling him out for kind of stealing her idea about mm-hmm. urban legends. And, you know, this is kind of like her way of one-upping him right. is actually going to Cabrini Green and interviewing people and talking to the people that are involved rather than Purcell, who was that long-haired douchebag at the dinner who, uh, you know, pretty much already had written a paper about Candyman 10 years ago from the time that the events take place and, you know, giving us the backstory that we have on him, that uh, Candyman was the son of a slave and he was uh, very talented and uh, prodigious in the arts and, you know, giving us that. But uh, it's just sort of her way of kind of like, she has to, you know, reclaim her power, so to speak. Right. Yeah, and that's why, you know, I, I do agree that she does a lot of stupid stuff, right? Because it definitely is, you know, it, 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 a lot of it is very dumb. Especially oh, the, fuck. Yeah. But, you know, but she's got that other, that like, I, I think that's why I like it. Because it's, it's well written up because there's at least a backing or there's a support for the stupidity, you know? Like, uh, not to go off too off the rails, but, you know, I remember the first time I saw, um, what you call it? Uh, oh, man, I'm forgetting the name of it. But... It, um, 
Charades. The charades. Uh, creature with wings that comes out every uh, 20 years. Oh, Jeepers Creepers. Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> God, I don't know why I forgot <laughs> yes. that. It's, got yes. a, yeah. 20, it's 23 years, but I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, you know, Jeepers Creepers, I remember the, the you know, the premise of them going back, right? Uh, when they see somebody, this guy dumping possible bodies into like a chute or whatever. It's like, well, maybe somebody's hurt. Maybe we can help him out or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. After they had just gotten, you know, almost uh, pushed off the road by by that same particular person or whatever. And the, the dumbest thing to go back there, get off and then look. And it, it just continues to be dumb and dumb and dumb. And there's not enough support for it. And there's a, there's a lot of that in horror movies. But in here... At least you have that kind of backing it up. That, yeah, she's making these stupid decisions, right? But there's a reason for it, and it's not just like, oh, well, she kind of just has to do that so we can introduce you to the monster. It's like there's there's actually a driving force behind it. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, and I mean, I get that for sure, but she's just totally ignorant to her own white privilege. But again, this was <laughs> du- again this movie is from 92, right. so... I think the remake, I, I really hope the remake focuses more on this, and I think Jordan Peele is going to be, is definitely the right person to, oh, yeah. to, to helmet, for sure. But, oh my God, there are like so many fucking white people moments in here. <laughs> you know, like when she tells Bernadette, Bernadette to dress conservatively, and it's like, yeah, they actually do show up looking like cops right. compared, you know, it's like, it, you know, okay, like if y'all want to look, if y'all want to lay low in the projects, you know, or in a rougher neighborhood, and I'm saying this because I, you know, I have lived in a rougher neighborhood for the last several years. Y'all don't wear no makeup. You don't do your hair. You fucking put on some sweats or you put on put on clothes that, you know, you would change oil with, anything. You know, <laughs> you don't put on your nice shit. Come on. You know, I, I just feel like that's basic common sense. Right. And, you know, she doesn't really have that. <laughs> but, I mean, I understand it's like, I mean, like, look at, looking at her apartment, that is the, like, her apartment looks like the office of, like, so many therapists I had back when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, so bad. <laughs> you know? And then later on, she goes back to Cabrini, Cabrini Green alone. Right. And that's when she gets assaulted by those four gangbangers. I'm like... <laughs> God, you're a dumb bitch. And she goes into the restroom, into the men's restroom, and dude, that men's restroom is heinous. Like I know, it says, that was, "Sweets to the sweet," but it's everything's like, in shit. Yeah. Okay. And that's Smeared all. Shit. That is all corn. It's all <laughs> corn. And then she opens up that last stall, and it's a toilet full of bees. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's listening to this, and anybody's on active on Facebook, y'all got to go look up toilets with threatening auras because that <laughs> is a toilet with a threatening aura. <laughs> and then even those gangbangers kind of suck too, because it's like. Like, there's four of them. She's one white lady. And they just kind of, like, rough her up a little bit. Right. They, like, what? They give her a black eye at best. I'm like, this is Chicago, and this is supposed <laughs> to be, like, the roughest part of Chicago or, or a really rough part of it. Did they even take her purse? I don't even remember. I don't think so, because she still had the pictures. That she still had the pictures that she was taking. Mm-hmm. Because she was, like, a fucking tourist, like, walking around Cabrini Green, like, ooh, look at all the graffiti, fucking right. white ladies. It reminds me of, uh, you ever, uh, did you ever watch uh, Kia Nascazzi? I'm no. probably saying it wrong. No? It also, so one of the other reasons I like Candyman is the, the score with Philip Glass. Mm-hmm. And so Philip Glass worked on this film I'm almost sure it's Kaya Niskazi. 
but I could be pronouncing. He's it wrong. an amazing composer. Like I mean, like oh, yeah. looking at all of his credits, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Like he definitely is a, a more of a like mood uh, composer, right? Than than more like thematic people, like you know. Um, what's called Williams and stuff, you know, that did like yeah. Star Wars and all the old good 80 movies. But it's still really good and it's, it's it's really nice music. And I love the way he used, like, he uses organ music. He uses it at the beginning of, of Candyman. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole Cabrini Green thing uh, reminds me of that Keanu Scotzi movie because there's this one, uh, the, the whole the whole movie is, is just essentially nature and then humans and, you know, how, you know, just the... the the things you could tell, right? There wasn't really a story. It just you, you watch how industrialization kind of like changes the landscape and where where it goes awry and then how it could get better, right? Mm. Uh, and there's this one part of it for, called Pruitt Igru or Pruitt Igru, and uh, it's got a song that I think a lot of people recognize from when the Watchmen movie came out um, because they used it on the trailer. And so every every time I have this song like on my YouTube playlist, and I'll just listen to it or whatever. And every time I look at it, you know, there's new comments like, you know, who's in here because of Watchmen? Who's in here? So I, I'm guessing that's why they found it. But uh, anyways, but it's uh, it's just projects and it's like buildings upon buildings upon buildings of just decrepit like very much like the uh, Cabrini Green uh, and it, it reminds it reminds me exactly of that because it's just it's it's like a forest of, of you know uh, concrete nothing Great. yeah and honestly you know Philip Glass's uh, score is incredible and it's really haunting yeah and it you know when I was listening to it earlier watching this movie just it reminded me of so many other movies and I couldn't place them you know it just seemed like uh, this was something that I had heard before that mm-hmm. you know Philip Glass had started and I couldn't think of, of, of what movies those were well I don't and he's done a lot of new modern stuff too like I said but he stays more like more like uh, like mood wise so maybe that's another reason because even even I have a hard time trying to like follow some of his you know compositions sometimes because it's just more about setting a, a sort of tone um, but he did a, a kind of re-release of Universal Monsters they, they did like a oh. they released Dracula like a couple okay. of years back like and by a couple it might be like six or seven maybe but um, they re-released the Bela Lugosi Dracula with a Philip Glass score mm-hmm. it's awesome if you like his stuff I mean and you like classic monsters and stuff I'm sure um, that's a really good listen that's a really good watch did you hear about the dark universe I know we're segueing, but you know uh, that's I, yeah. I'm I'm I was happy, and then once I saw the mummy, I was unhappy. <laughs> no, but did you hear about the new the the new news about the dark universe? The new news. Okay, yes. so the last about I the heard, Invisible Man. Oh yeah, I heard they're doing the Invisible yes. Man, but I'm I'm kind of hoping they're restarting the the dark universe, or is it going to still like share with the mummy and officially the Dracula I, Untold? I don't know. I hope it doesn't have anything to do with Dracula and Toll. I haven't seen The Mummy, but I haven't heard anything good about it. Oh, uh, man. But it's, I, it's not you know, good. It seems like... Uh, is it Blumhouse that's doing it? Are I think they, Blumhouse is doing the... Because the, I know Lee Wannell is, is doing The Invisible Man. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're the ones working on Invisible Man, but I don't know who did the... Uh, 
um, the mummy Universal Universal yeah. for sure but I yeah. don't know who, who wasn't because Universal I don't know who directed it, it for sure though yeah. yeah but it was not I mean I could see where they were trying to lay some groundwork for this dark universe thing but it was just it was so horrible I mean it made no, it made no sense mm, it's just sort of like you know it feels like it was trying to be too much of the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe definitely you know, it just needs to be like a, a small scale thing you yeah. know, eventually it could be like, you know, if you have enough good movies, like just on their own. Yeah. Put them into something like a, like a superior version of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right. You know, which not a bad movie, but, you know, yeah, I, I thought that was we could do better. Movie. Right. Yeah, it's fine. Well, you know, and and the thing that happened with the mummy, I know you haven't seen it, but I think you got it on like hit the nail on the head with the whole Marvel um, analogy there. He they really were going for kind of like an Avengers type feel, you know, with like yeah. all these monsters and Dr. Jekyll is, is and Mr. Hyde is really Dr. Jekyll that's kind of heading up this, he's sort of like their uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, you know, trying to put these people together. And, and Nick Fury, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Nick Fury. And uh, it just, that just doesn't work. And I, and I think, you know, with the, with the Dark Universe, uh, it's got so much potential. But, you know, if you think about like the original Dracula, it's, it's not, and of course, you know, time was different, right? But it—it's it, not the story. It's not a story about somebody, you know, like, or a high-end, you know, government conspiracy or all these kind of like very convoluted things. It—it it turns out to be just a genuine, like, you know, like little story between like, like kind of like a little love triangle, maybe tops in the original Dracula. But it's just about this guy, and I think you could do so much with you know a Frankenstein or a Dracula uh, if you focus on. Maybe like a t town folk people or some somebody that's local that's that's been hearing these things or that kind of knows that what's happening, but it's always some outsider coming in and it, it just turns into too much of a convoluted thing. I think it's more horrible or it's scarier if you've been living in in a place where like you have to worry every night that somebody's going to come down and abduct your wife or your your child and you know suck their blood out or something. Yeah. So you you start that way and then and then build it out, but. Uh, I think starting off too big and trying to make this giant like organization that you know finds exactly. all these monsters is just it's over it, it you're you're moving the spotlight from the monsters which is what the classical universal monsters you know what made them awesome was just about the monster. Yeah, and I mean you're really trying to you're you're overblowing it yeah. immediately. And again, that was yeah, that was definitely the problem. It's like, you know, we don't need to have Tom Cruise doing the mummy in this huge action this this huge action sequence. We really don't need that. We just need something small. You know, look at Shape of Water. The yeah. one best picture. That's what you need. Right. You know? It's like we, you know, like Universal needs to get Guillermo del Toro to do something. Oh, he, if he took over the dark universe. Oh, uh, dude. Be, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. The best. I, Dude, like apparently, apparently the scary, the scary stories to tell in the dark. That trailer's gonna hit for Super Bowl Sunday. I'm like, oh, fuck. Ah, I'm excited. I didn't I know. know that. That's, yeah, that's what I heard. I saw, the, I, I saw heard. the poster, and it was kind of cool yes. to see, like, sort of the artwork kind of come to life. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I think, oh, there's, those were like some of my greatest books back when when I was growing up. Monsters and all that stuff was still kind of like, you know. You, you were the weird kid because you liked that stuff, you know? Oh, I was totally the weird kid. Oh, my <laughs> God. I was the weirdest kid. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't necessarily goth, right? But I was always associated with those people. I'm like, you know, I, I love monsters. The scary stories still in the dark is like what I grew up reading. Me um, too. I, I love the artwork in it. I, for, I forget the artist's name right now, unfortunately, but he's he's 
it was amazing. So Guillermo del Toro, it's like all these things just coming together perfectly. I'm like, please don't blow it. Uh, no, no, he's not going to. I mean, you know, he, he loves monsters. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's uh, you know, he's one of our new masters of horror. Definitely. You know, definitely with James Wan. I mean, to a lesser extent, I think Guillermo del Toro just slightly edges out James Wan, but yeah. that's only because of a matter of preference. Uh, because I think he has an actual affinity for monsters and yeah. he wants to tell those stories and he wants to actually make those monsters like uh, give them a, give them an arc. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, so. he definitely has a more classical like approach to it, you know? Oh, yeah. Which is awesome. And yeah, I'm never, I'm not really afraid of what he'll do with it. I'm just always afraid of what the, you know, Hollywood machine does with stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just, That's always going to happen. Yeah, I know. That, that's where I cross my fingers. Uh, I, yeah, I know. But, you know, it's it's kind of like, a, you know, I feel I, I have more hope because it's a it's a different, you know, it's a it's a different generation. It's not like a new line cinema doing whatever they wanted with Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. all over again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, I love all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I'm just saying, you know, new line cinema, you, you know, maybe like going up to some stuff. Bob Shea, I'm looking at you. But, uh, yeah, no, Guillermo del Toro actually, you know, cares about his monsters and cares about what they do. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to that. I really just hope that they have um, the the one the one story that I care about is the the gal with the uh, the ribbon around her neck. Oh, yeah. And she unties it and her head falls off. Mm -hmm. I just want that. That's all I want. (laughs) That's the only one I actually remember. (laughs) Uh, But I read all of those. I read all of those books um, growing up. Yeah. You know, and it would be nice to see kind of something like that come together for, you know, our 80s and 90s. Uh, horror monsters like Candyman but also you know like Jason Freddy anything like that if we could all kind of like come together as one guys we could all make a lot of money and we could all make a lot of happy horror fans right (laughs) you know I mean as far as the dark universe goes I don't know where Candyman would sit yeah I don't know as a parallel if they yeah would it be like a wolf I don't think it would be a wolf man I mean because I feel like he'd be more like a Hannibal Lecter, which you could kind of put in that in that universe almost because. So you're saying if you had if you had to put him into the dark universe, is that what you're saying? Kind of like if you were building like a new dark universe that was kind of just more like your '80s and '90s horror villains. Um, I feel like Candyman would be like a. I don't want to say a parallel to Hannibal Lecter. Uh, because they are of the same time frame. You know, Silence of the Lambs was only 91, and then Candyman's 92. But, you know, uh, Candyman has a, a lot of the same elements that Hannibal does. Uh, you know, Tony Todd is extremely charismatic. Right. And so is Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and it's... They give, they, give off, they give off that vibe of, like, it's sort of, like, almost seduction, but also they're probably going to kill you, but maybe not. <laughs> You know, it's uh, very romanticized, though. But again, I think that lends itself to the mood of uh, the fact that it was, you know, uh, Candyman was adapted from that uh, short story from Clive Barker. Right. And all of his, you know, his works are very romanticized. Yeah. You know, he might have been kind of like almost our predecessor to Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. In a way. He's just gorier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think... <laughs> Definitely, it's a ghost story as as far as like basically right, like Candyman is. But it does have that like romanticized 
you know, I, and I, I guess maybe I'm talking about Dracula too much, but it, it kind of reminds me of Dracula also because Dracula kind of like, you know, lures his victims in with like charm and all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Or, or at least that's, he's got that same type of presence, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't qualify the same, I mean, uh, Candyman or Dracula's like presence the same as like, you know, Jason Voorhees or, or, or Freddy Krueger. They have mm. a presence, but it's not, it's not like the same. Those guys you see and you run, Dracula and even Candyman before he reveals his hook, you know, people were drawn to. Like I don't think I don't think you're gonna be drawn to Freddy Krueger. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Right. You know, and I mean, like I'm thinking back and like, Mm-mm, no, seen yeah. all the whole, I've seen all the all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies many times, and I've analyzed them over and over. Can't no. Yeah, not not even as a human, and so I think I think that's that's the thing. So I I, I don't know I don't I don't know if, if it was a new dark universe, uh, you know. Would you say it would be Hannibal Lecter, or would you say it would be Candyman as far as the Dracula goes? I think, really, I would like it to be Candyman. I love Hannibal Lecter, but he's still definitely human, right? So you, so it's about the evils that a, a, a human could do, right? And, of course, he doesn't consider himself evil, but, you know, Candyman uh, is definitely more of the supernatural thing, so I would consider that closer to, like, a Dracula. Um, he He... You know, like you said, kind of hypnotizes, you know, people, uh, Helen, and and then there's a the there's the cerebral thing, like you know, Hannibal Lecter, because again, you don't know if she's going crazy, and he knows he's framing her. I mean, literally, like he undoes her, like you know, uh, uh-huh. chains and stuff, pretty much, so that it looks like she killed somebody else. And uh, I think I, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty awesome, but I, I would guess closer to Dracula than than Hel- Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, Sorry. you know, no, it's fine. Uh, you know, it's just, it's like, um, it's interesting because both of them essentially are corporeal, which is, you know, one of those things that I have, you know, so many questions about with like uh, Candyman's mm-hmm. supernatural powers. Because, you know, when you summon him, he's just a regular dude. It's not like he has any like super strength or anything like that, you know? And at least like Freddy has some sort of. I guess enhanced combat skills. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, like he see, like you know, if I was going to talk about like Freddy versus Candyman in a fight, I'd go with Freddy because of what I've seen previously. And I feel like Candyman just doesn't have all of the supernatural, uh, the supernatural edge over Freddy. Yeah. You know, and so if we're talking about like Candyman versus Hannibal, uh, you know, that is. Not so very diff- that difficult, um, but you know, if we're talking about it in relation to his victims, I might have to give the edge to Hannibal. Uh, you know, just just because like he plans ahead, so he plans so far ahead, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Candyman is more like in the moment. Right. Well, you know, I, I I'm gonna go a little further on this because I like where this is going, anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, if they were pitted against each other, I agree with you because. You know, Hannibal Lecter is, you know, plans ahead, and that's awesome. But how far ahead could you plan on against somebody like that's so in the moment, like, you know, Candyman? And then he he does have, like, an ambiguity to him as far as what he is, because he does look like a normal guy. But, you know, he also has a chest full of bees that kind of sort of do his bidding. And then he's seen flying, right? Uh I think like twice. One one time yeah. he's like floating, one time, and then he's out the window. Out like the window. yeah. I saw uh, those wires, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that was. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he's he's uh, you know engulfed in, in flames, but apparently, obviously, comes back in part two. 
So, you know, there's there's certain things that I think are ambiguous about him, like where I don't think he could just do, uh, you know, like Hannibal Lecter wouldn't necessarily just be able to like, you know, poison dart him or something to get him to to submit or something. I don't know. No. It would be fun. It would be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, Candyman can do a lot of weird shit, but it's you know, at the same time that's kind of like why I, you know, my brain doesn't like uh it doesn't understand like what Candyman's powers are and that's frustrating to me because <laughs> it's like okay, you summoned him, but he's a regular dude. But he can do these things, but he's a regular dude. You know? Yeah. So I, I'm used to things like uh, like Freddy Krueger. It's sort of like, okay, yes, but if you kill him, you know, outside of the dream, yeah, he's dead. But if you killed Candyman, or if, you know, what, whatever, like, would he really be dead? Not really? Right. And then do you really ever summon him, right? Because, you know, if you call out his name five times, he doesn't always show up, right? At, at the end, it's Helen that shows up. Yeah. So, and again, I, I'm I'm going off very limited stuff because I only saw the part one and it's been a long, long time. Yeah. But uh, but you know, is, is it like his choice to keep his? Because again, the thing I remember the most about Candyman is how how important it is for him to be talked about, to be known about. You know, like that seems like like it even goes with the graffiti. Like the graffiti is sort of like uh-huh. you know keeping an his altar. memory alive, right? You know, and that's that's his biggest thing. And it reminds me of kind of like. Uh, I, I don't know if it was Freddy versus Jason, but yes. when Freddy's all... Yeah, yeah it, was, it was that one I was about to say. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, you got it, it, man. Being forgotten's a bitch or something like that. Uh-huh. You know? And, uh, and it, it, it's, so much, it's so much like that. And I think him trying to get, you know, Helen... Like, he could have killed Helen, right? Because he kills Many other times. people. yeah. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to make her into something. That's why I really like that, that theory of that guy, of, of him being an artist, because I'm like, well, that's true. If you look at the motivations between other killers and what, why they're doing things or whatever, they, they have something specific. But for him, if he's just a ghost out for revenge, which I heard maybe in part two or three, he kind of goes revenge crazy or something. But at least uh. in part one, this is the only thing I saw, um, it's not necessarily for revenge. It's it's more just about like an artist would want to be remembered for his art, and he's making he's asking her to be his victim, kind of like be his uh, his uh, project, be his you know yeah you know, be his muse yeah. Um, to also, something. Also, one thing that we have to you know we have to address. Candyman can't be like be my victim or you know be mine or anything like that. Anything that says be or believe in me. <laughs> God, no, you can't do that. Actually, I think I'm just going to be thinking about B-movie. <laughs> I was going to say, they should come out with some nice Valentine's Day cards. Oh, Lord. <laughs> be mine. Oh, I would buy them. I would buy them immediately if somebody wants to make those. Uh, you know, but one of the things that it's sort of like um, that uh, Candyman's doing is, yeah, I mean, he is uh, kind of like making Helen almost, you know, it's like he's making her into his own work of art. Like, it's almost like uh, if you had a sculptor Mm -hmm. and, you know, he was kind of crafting somebody, you know, crafting this this um, this exquisite piece of art out of clay. It's very similar to that. Uh, But, you know, the his motivations made more sense in the first one. I know you haven't seen the other ones, but Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that he wanted to be remembered, that makes more sense, not just from his own personal experiences and you know how he was put to death and whatnot and wanting to live on as a legend it does make sense from an artist's perspective uh, in the other movies it's it i don't understand what's happening 
Like it's. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. Cause, I, cause I that, know. Because Candyman was so very great. Sad. He Tony Todd is amazing. Yeah. You know. And it's like he's so magnetic, and in this first movie, and then it just kind of loses something in the second and third movies for me. Wow. You know? Well, then I'm glad, like you said, that you saw him from kind of maybe worst to best. Well, I did see it from worst <laughs> to best. Absolutely. Like, Candyman 3 is unwatchable. Ugh. I mean, it's like, again, like Donna de Erico from Baywatch is our female protagonist. Oh. And she's like the great-granddaughter or the great-great-granddaughter of Candyman. And it's like there are these weird, like, almost sex scenes with them. And I'm like, are you trying to fuck your, you know, your great-great-granddaughter? That's really <laughs> creepy. So, you know, and again, it's mostly like watching Candyman 3 is like, most of it is like, is that a wig? That's what most of that is, because I cannot tell. Like, Donna Erico's hair does not look real at all. And then you've got fucking um, the guy that played Rod in Nightmare on Elm Street as, like, the lead love interest. And I'm like, what is this movie that I'm watching? Uh, this can't be good. I kind of I have to go see those now, just because... You need to watch Candyman 3. Uh. It's so bad. It's so, so, so bad. And I would really, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have, like, a, a separate episode on Candyman 3. Like, I, I, I need to get my friend Veronica on here to watch that with me because, it's like, it's so... It, like, I know she's going to have so many opinions. But we would have you in the audience. No problem. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would love that. We would have that. to have you as a background voice. We'd have to have you as the peanut gallery. Absolutely. Um, but... So we need to kind of start wrapping up, and I know it's kind of like uh, a little sudden. We haven't really covered the movie per se, but, you know, if you've seen Candyman, you're fine. And if you are you haven't seen Candyman, sorry, fucking go watch it. Go buy the DVD. I, I can't. I'm sorry. It's not on streaming anywhere. But did you have any kills that you really enjoyed that were a favorite for you? Well, I mean, I guess... Not really. Uh, it, it, maybe it'll be surprising. I, I don't. I don't think there's anything special in, in the first, uh, you know, Candyman as far as kills go. I mean, always, you know, hooking somebody's back and kind of gutting them. You know, that's always nice. But, uh, but I, I maybe around the same vein. I kind of liked what he did psychologically. You know, to Helen. I mean, that was. To me, it's even worse than you know. What it reminds me of one uh, another movie, Strangeland. I don't know if you ever seen seen that one with uh, Dee Snyder and Robert England. Yeah. I didn't see it, but I know about it. <laughs> you know, it's not the greatest movie either, but it's very underrated. I think you should watch it if you get a chance. There's this one thing that I really like about. It. I, don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd spoil it for you, but. No, you won't spoil it for me. It was kind of like one of those things where it was the predecessor to the whole thing about, um, hey, don't talk to strangers on the internet because they're going to kill you. Right, yeah, and it's yeah. super, it's very, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's its own little thing. It's crazy, but uh, but it, it's still enjoyable. But there's this one thing, so the, the Captain Howdy, you know, character, right, D. Snyder or whatever, essentially is like, stalking these people on, on the internet and he finds this girl and so the movie kind of starts off sort of in the middle of this thing and this detective's daughter gets you know kind of abducted by him or whatever and then they end up finding her you know and uh, you know he's he's like this very heavily tattooed and body mod type guy and he's got all sorts of weird instruments in his basement where he's keeping all these girls so anyways they catch the guy right so they take him to jail and everything and the daughter is like oh thanks or whatever but there's a scene later when they you know he goes through recovery or rehab and they um, 
they set him free, right? And yeah, I know it's it's weird, but uh, the I make a very confused face right now. <laughs> the the daughter ends up coming home, and you know, she, she gets home and she hears his voice and he goes like, you know. Lucy or whatever, right? And and then she starts running up the stairs and he's like running after her and she jumps in the bed and he grabs onto her and all this kind of stuff. And like, it's very, it's a split second, but eventually she opens her eyes and she's just, she was just dreaming, you know? But mm-hmm. the way it was, the way it was told up to that point, it was so cool because it shows you what kind of trauma people go through and those kind of things, you know? And the fact that, you know, he never, he wasn't there obviously in her house, but that's what she's got to, every time she closes her eyes, that's what's there. And with Candyman, it was kind of the same thing, you know. The things that he was doing to, to Helen, to me, were more impactful than any kind of kill in that movie, you know, uh, because he totally transformed like her her view of her life, and she was generally scared and just completely, you know, crazy sort of towards the end. And and when the time came where she had to make a, a very you know a, a real very real decision about you know the the baby, I mean, she burned to death pretty much mm-hmm. to save him you know so she's still kind of like one out sort of uh you know but uh, but i really i really like that more than the kills because like i said the kills weren't really anything spectacular to me sorry long-winded story no 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 <laughs> i understand uh and i do agree with that uh i think as far as like if i had a favorite kill i would have to put it as the dog only because <laughs> okay the only re- the reason i'm saying that it's not because i'm a cat person i i don't care about you know dogs are fine i swear I'm not hating any dog people. The The reason I think that is because it was like, Helen woke up after her first encounter with Candyman. She was covered in blood. And I was like, wow, this suddenly escalated very quickly. And it's like, you know, Anne-Marie is screaming because, she, you know, her, her son is like, who knows the fuck where this dog's decapitated. Helen's covered in blood. And... You know, that really just ratcheted up the suspense, like, a lot for me. And at that point, it was kind of like, that was one of those, uh, that was the part where Helen went from having any sort of white privilege to be like, nah, you're just a fucking serial killer. Right. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that Helen's a racist, but it's like, (laughs) it seems like she was, like, mostly targeting black people, and that dog was mostly black, so... (laughs) So maybe... Oh man, I'm gonna get so many flames on the internet for this. Nobody listens. It's fine. <laughs> no, that's really when the movie, like, that's where all that prep work, you know, uh, pays off. Because after that, it's like, it yeah, just it shows you how quick, quick your life can just go crazy. Yeah, and then Helen is in an institution for a month, right. fucked up on Thorazine, and she doesn't even realize it until somebody has to tell her. Yeah, it's crazy, and like all this time has passed, and she's lost all sense of it. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's awesome. That's what I'm saying. It's got so many levels. I love that movie. Yes, it's it's fantastic. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm very glad that I found the DVD and that I purchased it because I will definitely go ahead and rewatch this multiple times. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm definitely I'm looking forward to Jordan Peele's interpretation of it for sure. Um, do you have any sort of ideas for characters that could play Candyman? Uh, or like a new Candyman? Yeah, like a new Candyman. Like, who would, you know, do you have any uh, preferences? Well, again, I'm, I'm basing this only off of part one, right? So uh, I don't know exactly how far they go into, like, the, uh, you know, romantic aspects of, of Candyman or him being charming and luring, you know, women or something like that. But 
Uh, I mean, like, can't even have some, like, legit Whole Foods fever going on. Like, all <laughs> these white women that are super blonde. So <laughs> that's, that's funny. Maybe that was a Tony Todd request. Uh, <laughs> maybe in Candyman 3. I mean, like, I'm not going to say, like, Donna D'Arico is super hot, but she can't act over the shit. Well, that was the thing about that, that first one. Candyman, it, all of them, Tony Todd did amazing. The girl that played Helen was great. The supporting cast was really good. And it was oh, really yeah. a small cast anyways, but it was just, it was good. I don't know. Um, you know, I think there's this guy in in my head that I think would would play a good candy man, but he's older. That's the thing. That's why I was asking about the romantic things of it. That uh, Idris Elba. Oh my god! I think he would be a really because I would he's be got totally that, pr- that fine same presence. Them. I would be so fine with Idris Elba being in anything, especially Candyman. Oh yeah, he he oh, could. Man. He's got that charm that could disarm like anybody. I mean, when Helen meets Candyman, it's in the middle. I mean, in a empty parking lot, right? Like at the yeah. end of the day. And it's just this dude, and she's just like, she's like powerless. It's crazy. So yeah, I think he would. I would think he would be a great Candyman, even though again he's older. <laughs> I know that's kind of like the problem that can, you know because I was like only I, I was thinking also maybe Denzel Washington, but again he's older right. and you know Candyman was you know killed when he was a younger when he was a younger man. So yeah, I, I would have to say Idris Elba though. I have to agree <laughs> with that just because I love him in everything. Yeah, yeah that guy's good. Oh, he's fantastic. Okay. Well, you know, so to wrap up, I do have one final question for you. Go ahead. Okay. So if you were an urban legend, what kind of urban legend would you be and why? Hmm. I did not prepare you for this. <laughs> uh, if I was an urban legend, that'd be fun, first of all. If, if uh, So do I have to pick like a current urban ed- legend no, and just say can, like that would be more like me or you can just pick whatever you want okay. doesn't matter um i don't know i guess you know it, it it it'd be fun if there was an urban legend about if anytime you sat down to watch a scary movie or a horror movie by yourself in the dark this weird Mexican guy would, you know, appear behind you, scare the shit out of you. So you'd just be yourself. <laughs> I, right. Yeah. Okay. It, it would be it would be me with you know complete accessibility to anybody's home at any It'd time. It'd be like you with the IMDb knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god. All of a sudden, I'd be I'd be sitting at home, and you know, there's just some thing pops up on my phone, like ding. You know, Stephanie's about to watch, you know, Candyman, and I'll be like, I'll be right back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I got work to do. That's actually very. That's dude. That's very apt because. Essentially, that's what Candyman has to do because it's like, if anybody summons him in a mirror, he has to show up. It's like fucking Santa Claus almost. Right? It's like, oh, stop what I'm doing. Yeah. But you know, if it's your life, if it's your life's passion, it's it's okay. Yeah. Because then I mean, you're you're really only just taking a break from it. You're kind of like waiting for the next one, like when. Because I, I love scaring people. It's been my whole life, you know, it's scaring people in a haunted house, all that kind of stuff. So if if, if I got called to like, hey, there's a perfect situation for you right now to go scare somebody, I'd be like, I'm there. Done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would probably go with you know uh, I like I, I I do like Bloody Mary as an urban legend, but since we kind of have to you know almost rule it out because it's already in this movie that we're speaking about, I would go with the one where it's like if you swallow a watermelon seed, like a watermelon grows in your <laughs> stomach. But I would like to cross that over with like a little shop of horrors kind of, <laughs> you know, and sort of make like Audrey too grows out of your stomach. That would be great. <laughs> I'd be totally fine with that. Uh, but that's yeah, it's a little weird. 
Yeah. So <laughs> it works. Audrey Two's head would be like yours. Your head goes out of there. That's your urban legend. I was thinking out of my like my womb, but okay, that works. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I know we're both gonna recommend the movie, obviously. Right. Yeah. Definitely. But tell us what you're doing right now and pimp out that social media. Right, I'm bad at that. So yeah, I'll dude, do that promote first yourself, <laughs> please. I'll do that first because I forget. So um, I have an Instagram. I think it's Sergio Guerra FX. Uh, if you look me up on Facebook, I think it's the same thing. Uh, so uh, I'm trying to post more stuff. But anyways, uh, right now I'm mainly I'm, I'm working more on like um, collector stuff. Uh, got a couple of films. Uh, just got wrong about a vampire short film maybe so i got a vampire and werewolf in the mix and then i've got three uh well a feature film with george ortiz actually that's got like three different creatures in it and that's got some like you know kind of b uh, or c-list kind of horror celebrities so it'll be kind of fun uh and then i do like i said a lot of collector's work so i'm trying to do my own line of uh of prosthetics that i almost have complete and that might go on amazon or it might be on my website so just, if you find me online, just like me, subscribe, follow. I don't know what they usually say, but. Uh, you know, whatever your Instagram or your Facebooks are. Yeah. Uh, but as far as Sheebie go, we are available to send hate mail or love mail <laughs> to sheebiejeebies at outlook.com. And of course, you can find us as always on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You just have to search for us. And you know, my stupid ass is gonna be on there. Uh, you'll recognize me because I'm the whitest white person that ever whited. <laughs> and Jay just like dropped something. So good job, man. And yeah, just, you know, go ahead and pay us some attention. We're on iTunes, on Stitcher. Send us a review. Send us a subscribe. Send us a whatever. You know, I don't know how this works. I'm just here and I just talk about things. But uh, this was uh, the second week of, of our Love Hurts uh, February of 2019, something like that. And uh, yeah, until next week, though, I can't say stay creepy anymore. So keep being weird, you weirdos. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>